0: welcome to Emerging Trends in Higher Ed. My name is Samantha Wilcox, and I am your moderator for this podcast series. Joining us today is Dr. Robert Sapp, Dean of the NCU School of Technology. Good afternoon, Rob.
1: How are you? Very pleased to be here.
0: Excellent. I'm doing well. Well, Dr. Sapp is here to discuss the challenges of gathering, presenting, and consuming data in today's ever-evolving and fast-paced environment. Let's get started, Rob. Now, first, what exactly is data?
1: well that's a big question <laughs> um, It's a very broad term, and there are a lot of definitions uh, but generally it's it's uh, pieces of information that are used to uh, define facts and figures um, It's often used to describe data information. Uh, knowledge. Uh, so the, the, the term data is actually not that broad. So this isn't technically correct. Data itself uh, are all unorganized, very small, distinct, discrete pieces of information, like a word or, or a metric or a value or some other statistic. And more specifically, datum, which is the singular, is a discrete piece of information. So something like uh, uh, a temperature or a hair color, or the number of stars you give a movie, as an example of uh, of data. Uh, data itself is plural, so uh, usually when we talk about data, uh, we're talking about multiple pieces of information. But at this point now, it's it's sort of used both pl- plural and singular. Uh, you still may hear data referred to in the plural, so. Something like the data are widely available. Um, I want to take a minute and talk about how data kind of fits into this taxonomy. And this is actually important. So I'll I'll take a minute or two and describe it. So a taxonomy is basically a way to organize or categorize related concepts. Uh, So, for example, uh, at the bottom Something like a domesticated cat, and then a feline, and then a mammal, and then an animal. Uh, the Dewey Decimal System is famous for this. All right, so it's all about the organization uh, from uh, zero to a thousand, and there are categories for each of these things. Well, it turns out that there's a taxonomy associated with that as well, and data is at the bottom. We've already discussed this to some degree. It's one or more. Pieces of in, in information. So a temperature, for example. Well, what's information then? Well, information is a group or a collection of data with some common context. So we might say a group of temperatures uh, in a given place at a given time. Uh, next up on the taxonomy is knowledge. So Knowledge is information that's been interpreted or considered in some way, may or may not be actionable. So uh, it's often the output of some observation or some analysis. So we might say, uh, looking at our temperatures, the biggest average increase in temperature is in the month of April. Right? That's knowledge. And then the last step up is Wisdom. And wisdom is the appropriate use of knowledge, usually to make some kind of change. So using this uh, knowledge, we may say, you know, we should probably service and prepare our central air conditioning at the end of March because we know it starts to get hot in April. That taxonomy is really important because a lot of things will be thrown at you, uh, whether they be at the data level, the information level, the knowledge level, or the wisdom level and you'll have to consume those accordingly. So the term data does have a very specific definition, but it's also frequently applied to information and sometimes even to knowledge and wisdom.
0: Excellent, that's some really great information. Thanks for breaking that down for us. Now, what are some of the ways that quantitative data is presented to us?
1: Uh, So quantitative data, talking about numbers, metrics, values, so um, there are probably four ways. One way is as a value. So as a metric or a number, either by itself or with other numbers. And we see that often uh, in columns and rows, in tables, and organized as tables. So we also see quantitative data in textual documents. It could be anything as short as a sentence, or it could be in reports or even dissertations. Uh, but it's a value that's articulated, and usually described in some way. We see quantitative data in data visualization, and in graphs, and the like, and then also we'll see it in narratives or presentations, which someone is presenting to us, usually with some uh, visual component as well. So the text uh, uh, data. That's usually to explain results or trends or outcomes. We see it in sentences and paragraphs, often as part of a larger document. And this should almost always be referenced with some citation that can be confirmed. If you're reading something and you see a number that isn't referenced and cited, view that with skepticism. Tables. Well, uh, tables are For showing groups, uh, of data, information per se. Uh, and we can show groups or categories of either numbers or words. They're organized in rows and columns. And we can show a great deal of specificity in tables. We can be far more specific in tables than we can be in, say, a chart, for example. We can show, you know, decimal points, four and five decimal points down the, down the line. So it's very good for summarizing and comparing groups of data. Not so good at showing trends, for example. And tables uh, these days for things like heat maps, for example, can encompass colored texts and fields for even greater emphasis or elucidation. And then finally, visualization. Visualization is the graphic representation of data or information. And this can greatly simplify communicating big data sets and complex data sets. It can show the relationship between multiple variables. And uh, there are all kinds of primary and secondary graphs for general and specific communication of quantitative data. Um, in terms of presenting, normally a presentation is uh, combining oral, uh, video, and visual elements. This can be live or recorded. And so you'll see things like tables and visualizations and text all come together uh, and with, with an, uh, an oral uh, component. So those are the sort of the four ways in which quantitative data are presented.
0: Excellent. Thank you. Now, a question I'm sure many people have in um, an information-driven world. How can I determine if the data presented to me is accurate and legitimate?
1: Yeah, this a million-dollar question, isn't it? <laughs> it's hard. Um, uh, it's 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 difficult, and it's even more difficult since we're in such a data and information-rich environment. Let's think for a minute about what accurate and legitimate means. First, we're talking about validity. So, are the data we l- we're looking at considering? Are they correct and complete and reasonable? Do they accurately represent the the phenomenon? that they're describing. And we have reliability. Reliability speak to the degree to which the data are a consistent measurement of whatever it is they're supposed to be describing. So if we are looking at a sample of a population of a thousand people, and it's a good sample, it should be very, very similar in uh, in the um, descriptive statistics from one sample to the next. And if it is, then those data are said to be reliable. And then finally, integrity. And believe it or not, even in, in large media organizations, in a lot of instances, the data are corrupted in some way, hopefully unintentionally, maybe not always, when they're transferred from their origin and used uh, uh, for another purpose. So those are kind of the three main areas that we need to be concerned about. Validity, reliability, and integrity of the data. Now, when you look at data, when you consume data, I'm going to ask you to do something that might seem counterintuitive. Ask yourself, does it pass my sniff test? We call this face validity. So look at it. If it's a chart, take a good look at it. If it's a number or a table, look at it very carefully and view it with some healthy skepticism. The whole idea of trust but, but confirm. Okay. now You have to be careful here because based on your interest in relationship in the statistic or in the data, you probably have some bias. But we're not really talking about making a decision about the legitimacy and the accuracy just based on your feeling or your opinion about it. This is just a place to start. The next thing to do is to consider the source. So before you seriously consider and consume data in any form, you need to consider where it comes from. So data that are presented in either some raw form or something that's interpreted must include a reference to where it came from. And if that includes, if you see it on TV, if you hear someone talking on the radio, if there is a number, there should be some citation, some source about where that number came from. If there isn't, be wary. In many instances, you can make inferences about the the accuracy and legi- legitimacy of the data based on that source. So be cautious when considering data of any kind that isn't clearly cited or that has a citation that you can't confirm. And ideally, the the data that that is being used can be confirmed by multiple sources that don't cite one another.
0: Excellent. Those are some great tests as we're reviewing data. Now, you mentioned reliability. Uh, What are some of the best techniques for finding reliable data?
1: Sure. Sure. you know, there's the uh, there's the metaphor uh, that well, goes back to when I started on the Internet in the 80s um, that that uh, said that that uh, finding information on the Internet is getting a sip of water from a fire hose. And that was true then. So clearly um, uh, there is a great deal of let's call it content and to be kind available. Unfortunately, uh, there is a great deal of crap as well. <laughs> and so we have to be uh, very cautious consumers. So to find reliable data, I would recommend the first thing you do is find the headwaters for that data flow. Where does it come from? Where did it originate? Usually, there are a handful of of Places that source, truly source data, unless the data is an output of, of uh, original research that was done. So you might check governmental databases and knowledge resources. Uh, the Fed has a ton of these governmental bureaus. One of the best overall uh, metasites is data.gov, but clearly census data is widely used. Healthdata.gov is widely used. The EPA is widely used. Generally, a website that ends in .gov uh, is, is something that you can uh, rely on uh, with, uh, with some degree of certainty. Not always, but they could also look at, at, at sort of recognized international leaders in not-for-profit research. So like the World Health Organization and UNICEF, Geobase, the folks at Pew who do a lot of research, original research. You can check uh, what's coming out of some universities and academic research institutions. Uh, these are good for uh, niche data sources that um, are based on specific research that's being done in that institution. And then there are public data resources. These use, or tend to be clearing houses. Uh, so Google public data, Amazon public data, a lot of times the the subtext of this is just for them to show off their analytics, but this is a way where you can get uh, multiple uh, data sources aggregated, which makes it much easier to uh, to build the tables that you'll need to do analysis or simply to track down the legitimacy of something that's been cited. Generally, you want to look for data that's widely cited, sourced or referenced in a refereed journal or a peer reviewed journal, and also chase down those ancestral citations. So if you get a number that's referenced in a journal, but it wasn't created by those researchers, came from somewhere. Find out where it came from. That's the best way for finding really reliable data.
0: Thank you so much for those tips. The resources you shared will definitely be helpful for many of us. Now, my last question for you, um, what are some of the ethical issues associated with presenting and consuming data?
1: Wow, this is a course. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, we have, I mean, we, we literally spend, uh, weeks and weeks on this in the uh, data science program. It, uh, I would say, uh, first off, that the authors have a responsibility for any data that appears in their publications or presentations, whether they created it or not. If they're citing it, they have some responsibility to see that it's correctly referenced, uh, and properly sourced. You want to be careful for uh, if you're consuming uh, uh, data from a presentation that bounces around a lot uh, to be sure that they're not cherry picking. And what that means is when you hunt for uh, a uh, a data set that agrees with specific elements of your thesis or or your or your hypothesis, which is sort of the antithesis of, of research. And also you want to be careful that your uh, the source that you're, that you're uh, consuming uh, isn't ignoring research that contrasts. This is also a significant ethical no, no. Uh, if you're legitimately uh, interested in creating new knowledge, which is of course what the goal of research um, you need to be as uh, aware and consider it of research and data that disagrees with your hypothesis uh, or your thesis than that that agrees with it. So, statistics. Um, the use of statistics is rife with opportunities for intentional and even accidental misuse. Uh, and I could spend hours talking about that, but I'll just point out a few of the ones that are most prevalent. Uh, logical fallacies overall in over- or underestimating the value and the applicability of a statistic. Uh, if you see uh, uh, a presenter or an author that continues to come back to a single statistic or even a single study and is hanging the entire uh, argument, uh, the entire output of the research on that, that should be a some concern, and that's an ethical issue. You'll also see this show up as an overgeneralization. So, <coughs> excuse me, perhaps there's a reference uh, to um, a specific study that was done in one county of one state. Uh, and uh, it's a good study, but the, uh, the researcher is using that as a proxy for the entire nation. Clearly, that's an ethical concern. Uh, sometimes you'll see, uh, uh, this applied as a extrapolation of a single study or a really small sample to a much larger population. Also a concern, also a, an ethical issue. Uh, and then the, of course, the use of stale data or analysis. So if you're, uh, referencing, uh, a study that was completed in, in, uh, 1975, and using that uh, to uh, support an argument based on uh, current uh, 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 current research, that's a, that's a concern. One of the biggest uh, areas that you see, and you tend not to see this in hardcore researchers, but you see it in the media all the time, and you have to be very, very careful, is what's called a false causality. Just because things are related doesn't mean one causes the other. And in many instances, causality is is very difficult, if not impossible, to determine. So the language associated with the relationship between two variables should be very, very careful, should be carefully considered. And we should talk about the relationship between the two and not the idea that one Causes the other because we really don't know that for sure in a non-experimental uh, environment. Um, ignoring or disregarding observations or outputs or data that disagree with uh, with the point that you're trying to make or your thesis, and then always, always concerns about bias and underrepresentation and sampling when you're trying to make uh, inferences. About a large population, big concern there. So those are statistics uh, where where ethical issues uh, are of some issue, and there are many, many more. But those are probably some of the major ones. Visualization um, is arguably even a bigger concern because it's so easy, even unintentionally, to use uh, um, an improper or an uh, an um, unethical uh, visualization of data. These are sometimes referred to as distorted graphs or misleading graphs. Um, And it's important to point out that an unintentional graphical representation can be as dangerous as one that was intended. Uh, So it isn't as if someone has to be sitting in a back office rubbing his or her hands together saying, you know, how can I get this by? These can be honest mistakes, so you've got to be on your toes. So the first thing is to be sure that the correct graph is being used to represent data. I I really don't have time to go into a a whole um, discussion of, of all of the graphs that are available and when their proper use is, but it's something that's worth tracking down. Be very cautious about pie charts. Uh, pie charts are probably the most misused of all data visualizations, and usually it's unintentional. Pie charts have, uh, a very basic use for simple, uh, data representations. Uh, so I would consume them when you see them with, with, with rigor and skepticism. Be cautious. Avoid, uh, 3D representations of all graphs, because generally, the uh, the conversion to 3D skews some of the data sets and doesn't give you as accurate a representation as the 2D, which is more consistently rendered. Um. Generally, graph design should be simple. And the elements on a graph should be clearly relevant to the purpose of the graph. If you look at a graph and it doesn't make sense in 10 or 15 seconds, it's probably not a good graph. You shouldn't have to study over it. It should be a clear representation of the data. Um, In terms of the graph itself, be aware of the correct use of scales uh, depending on the kind of graph. Normally there is uh, an X and a Y axis, an X across the bottom and a a Y across the left side. Um, But uh, an emphasis on limited scales or part, Partial scales can make comparatively small differences seem much more significant than they really are. So be careful that can be manipulated. Uh, And in terms of the axis, um, the the X axis uh, across the bottom, which is often used for chronology and the Y axis uh, often on the left side is, is used generally for values. In some instances, that y-axis on the left side will be cropped or truncated in some way. So you're not seeing the entire um, axis. And this can result in, uh, in differences or changes to the data that can be made to appear much larger or much smaller. So be aware of the scales and the axis. A lot of times uh, that can render a, a, a chart useless or even worse. And then finally, the, the manipulation of the dimensions of the chart or the graph, the ratios, uh, those should be consistent and they should accurately represent, uh, both, uh, data sets. And if they're not, then they can, um, uh, inaccurately show differences or, uh, um, discrepancies that don't really exist. Uh, data and statistics writ large are a language under themselves. Um, the, the, the the field of data science analytics is immensely powerful and is capable of doing great good and has done great good, but they're also capable of being misused intentionally and unintentionally to distort and misrepresent these The very things that they're being used to describe. So be cautious uh, and be judicious about how you consume data in all formats, whether it's textual or tabular or visual.
0: Excellent. Some very important reminders. Well, thanks so much for spending time with us today, Dr. Sapp, and sharing some of the challenges of gathering, presenting, and consuming data in today's environment.
1: It was my pleasure.
0: Uh, Be on the lookout for additional episodes in the coming weeks from others in the NCU community. And on behalf of Dr. Robert Sapp, this is Samantha Wilcox, reminding you that at NCU, you have what it takes to change the world. We offer what it takes to make that happen. Thank you and goodbye.